0: Thank you very much, Mark. Worship team, Dan, appreciate that very much. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians 13 again today. I'm all squared away here. 1 Corinthians 13. Before we get into this, though, I didn't have a chance to uh, communicate a last-minute prayer request, and so I'd like to pray for um, the... A wife of Stephen Hurd. Stephen is the son of uh, Charlie and Diane Hurd, and his wife's mother, Jackie, who's actually local here, um, has had some COVID complications. Uh, I think she has had some experience in the past with cancer, I think Donna said, and um, is not doing well right now. So we want to lift that up. So let's pray once again. Father, we do thank you so much that we can lift up Our hearts to you, and we can lift up um, this situation here with Brianna's mother, Jackie, um, Stephen's mother-in-law. We just pray, Lord, that you'd have mercy on her. Uh, Father, you know all that uh, she needs right now. You know where she is in this whole process and what's going on, and we pray that you give wisdom and skill to those who are caring for her, that they would do all that needs to be done, no more and no less, and that you would... Have mercy. We pray for your that you'd preserve her life, that you would grant her the healing that's needed. We pray uh, that you would grant to her and to Stephen and Brianna and the rest of the family, uh, indeed the peace that passes all understanding. We pray for Jackie in particular that you would uh, meet her needs, whatever they may be—physical, uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual—and that you would glorify your name through this situation and that you would uh, show much grace and mercy. So, Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, meet the needs here uh, as you would see fit, and we thank you that we can lift her up to you. Uh, We pray for your greatest blessing in her life, whatever that would be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, we want to continue, as Mark highlighted, uh, looking at the kindness of God, this morning, So if you would turn, if you haven't already, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul in this chapter is talking about the essential of love, as well as the everlasting nature of the kind of love he's talking about. And I want to focus this morning just on verses 4 through 8, the first part of verse 8, and just read these verses for us as we continue uh, thinking about the kindness of God. In verse 4 it says, And so when we think about the big picture in the Christian life and what the Bible says, ultimately the Bible teaches us in all kinds of ways that we were created by God to glorify and enjoy God. And the question is, how do I do that? How do I bring glory to God? How do I enjoy the God who created me? And the basic answer is through faith and love. We trust the God who created us in all the ways that he calls us to. And we seek to love like the God who created us loves. And 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a great picture of what it means to love like God loves. And yet, to read these verses on the surface, it may seem like um, it can be a very common thing to love in these ways. Because we see people in, in certain ways show patience, Uh, show kindness uh, not simply in the church but even outside the church and that's why we're taking more time to really talk about what is Paul talking about when he talks about patience and what is he talking about when he's talking about kindness because he's talking about something that is truly unique it's a unique patience and a unique kindness that can only be manifested in a person's life if they have a relationship to God and have grace from God to do that. It's not a natural thing. And so um, we always have to keep that in mind that Paul is talking about a patience that is a holy restraint in the face of long suffering. It's something that happens in the midst of suffering when circumstances are hard and when people are difficult. And it's not a natural thing where I'm patient just because I'm waiting in line at the DMV, as hard as that may be. Um, it's much more than that. And kindness is, is doing good, but it's doing good graciously. And it's actually desiring the good of those we do good for in a way that God desires that good. You know, if I were to ask you, um, how many sides does a Pentagon have? You could say five. But you can say, you know what, I don't want my pentagon to have five sides. I want it to have two sides or three sides. And I'd say, well, that's not a pentagon. That's something different. It's a triangle or whatever it might be. Well, it's the same way if we try to say, you know, the love that God is calling us to here is just this, very narrowly defined. When Paul is actually saying that God's love is a pentagon of sorts. It has things that are involved that if If those things aren't a part of it, it's not the love that God calls us to. For instance, all God's love is designed for good. If I'm not pursuing someone's good, then I'm not loving in the way that God calls me to. That has to be the goal of my actions, is actually the good of the other person. I have to actually not only do what is good, as important as that is, I also have to desire their good. And that's why I can say in the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, if I give up my, all my possessions and give my body to be burned but don't have love, that can look like a very loving thing, actions, but if there's not a heart behind it, then it's not really the love that God calls us to. And if I'm giving my possessions to someone I think deserves it, or I'm laying down my life for someone I think deserves it, then that's not the love that that God calls us to either, because he calls us to a love that actually manifests itself to those who don't deserve it. And we know they don't deserve it. We believe they don't deserve it. But ultimately, it's a love that is in response to God. It's, it's me being kind, doing what I'm doing for the good of others, because God has been kind to me. And that only happens in a unique uh, situation where we've been born again by the Spirit of God, we've been reconciled to God, and that's why it's not as common as we might think, because it requires all of those various elements. Um, and therefore, the, the kind of love that God is calling us to means that I need, I need to rest in the kindness of God to me. He's been kind to me in saving me through Jesus. And so I'm to rest in that kindness, and then I'm to reflect that kindness to others, We might ask ourselves, uh, am I more like a mirror in the way I love people or more like the moon? It's kind of a simple illustration, but a mirror simply reflects what is brought to it or brought before it. And naturally, we just respond to people based on how they respond to us. We're just reflecting what we see coming to us from other people. The moon reflects the sun. That hits it, and it shines on people on the earth indiscriminately. And so the question is, am I more like a mirror? I'm just reacting or reflecting what's coming to me from people. If they're kind to me, I'm kind to them. If they're mean to me, then in some sense, I'm kind of reflecting that back to them. Or am I reflecting the love of God to anyone and everyone, regardless of what's going on there? And one of the most important things about that is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3:18. You don't have to turn there, but let me just remind you of what that says. It says, "But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit." Paul there is saying that I am transformed by seeing. I'm not simply transformed by being told what to do. So I can tell you all day long, you need to be kind like God is kind. That will not make you kind like God is kind. Just to hear those words, just to be told, we need to be kind to one another. I have to see the kindness of God. Because he says, we behold the glory of the Lord which is his kindness and his patience to sinners. And we're transformed by beholding. We're transformed by seeing. And so I have to see the kindness of God to me. I need to be saturated with God's kindness to me and to people around me if I'm going to actually reflect that kindness to others. And so today I just want to focus on the first point here, which says kindness is God's way with his people. Now, obviously, we have to ask ourselves, uh, who does that include? Well, his people include those who can uh, see themselves in this. These verses, it says in John one verse twelve. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So, the gospel or the good news is God in the person of Jesus, took on human form. And he lived the life we can never live in perfect love, perfect obedience. Then he died the death that we deserve to die, taking the wrath that we deserve for our failure to love and our failure to obey. Then he rose from the dead, and he presently rules and reigns over everything as Lord of all and King over the universe." And the Bible says that King and that Lord offers us the forgiveness of our sins if we will turn from our sin and entrust ourselves to him. What does that mean? I receive him and I believe in his name. What's his name? His name is Lord. His name is Savior. And therefore, if I receive him as my Lord and my Savior, then it says I have been given the right to become a child of God. So all those who've received Jesus and trusted themselves to Jesus as Lord and Savior are children of God. And the Bible tells us that God is kind to his people. He's kind to his children. And that may seem like an obvious thing, but the reality is we struggle with that every day. Is God really being kind to me? And so I want to help us think about this a little more, um, because it's so important that we see it more and more, because it will impact whether or not we're really kind to people around us. Um, Some of you are grandparents, and um, there's some criticism of grandparents that is very common. It's the notorious indulgent grandparent syndrome. The idea that once you become a grandparent and you have grandkids, then it's your job, in some sense, to spoil your grandchildren. The idea that your, uh, your job is not to discipline them, that's the parent's job. Your job is to somehow just um, let them get away with murder as long as they stay happy. Um, but I want you to think about the fact that that's a distortion of a truth that's very important. Because there is a sense in which God is an indulgent grandfather. Not the indulgent grandfather that we often think he might be. But basically the word uh, indulgent or to indulge is from the Latin, which is the idea of bringing pleasure to someone. Pleasure to yourself, I'm going to indulge in that piece of cake there. I'm going to bring pleasure to myself. Or I'm going to give that piece of cake to my grandchild and bring them pleasure for whatever reason. Um, God is indulgent in that sense, that he has a heart, an unbelievable heart. (laughs) I mean that unbelievable. It takes God's grace to make us believe that he has a heart to really bring us pleasure. Now, he's not like the grandparent that spoils the grandchild in the sense that he's going to bring us pleasure um, by giving us something that isn't really good for us. He's not going to do that, but he is after our pleasure. He is after our good. He is after our enjoyment, and therefore, he loves to indulge his children. He loves to do that. And like I've mentioned before, Charles Spurgeon said, on taking a survey of our whole life, we see, or we should see, we need to see, that the kindness of God has run all through it like a silver thread. And can we sit here this morning and say, Yeah, I can see that. Or we might sit here and say, I, you know, I'm some I don't know about all through it. Maybe here Maybe be there but all through it really is that really true psalm 145 17 says the lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds not just a few deeds not every other deed but all deeds and if you would turn to uh, ephesians chapter 2 i just want to highlight a few scriptures here, just to try to bring this home to us this morning, just remind us of some things that we know. But hopefully, by God's grace, we'll see in deeper ways, maybe in light of what we're going through right now. um, We always need the fresh application, by God's Spirit, of His truth to our hearts. In Ephesians 2, the first thing that I want us to see is that God is kind to His people, His children, in what he promises us for the future. It says in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, so he's talking about love here, great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's what grace is. It's raising you from the dead and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why did God do all that? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the noun form of the verb in 1 Corinthians 13. God saved us so that he could be kind to us forever. And again, what does kindness mean? It means doing us good. He saved us because he wanted to do us good forever. Never going to end. He's never going to get tired of showing us kindness. In fact, he looks forward to it. And we know it because the word tells us that that is true. There's a story in the Old Testament where at one point, Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, is calling his brothers into his home. And his brothers don't know he's Joseph yet. And they're being called into Joseph's home and they're afraid. They're afraid that he's going to do something to hurt them. That he's going to harm them. That he's going to put them into slavery somehow. Somehow. And the reality is, we can feel the same way about God sometimes. We can think that, well, maybe, you know, in the end, this is really all about uh, something that I really don't want to see happen. When the Bible tells us that it's God's plan to be kind. Now, we don't get a whole lot of information about heaven in the Bible. The Bible says it's beyond what we can fully comprehend. But one thing I know is that God will be kind to us. Whatever it looks like, whatever it feels like, whatever it tastes like, whatever it looks like, whatever it feels, it will be God's kindness to us. If you would also look at Matthew 11. In Matthew 11, we see at the end of the chapter, uh, A discussion of God's kindness to us, not only in the future, because we might say, well, that sounds great, but what about now? I can can look forward to God being kind to me in the future, but I'd really like for him to be kind to me right now, too. So what does that look like? Well, at the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 28 of Matthew 11, we actually have another uh, reference to the kindness that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, but it doesn't come across... Um, easily because of the translation. But in verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The reality is God not only promises us kindness in the future, but he is actually kind in what he commands us to do. Um, Some of you may have seen the movie Karate Kid. At the beginning of the movie, um, this young man is being taught by this older man uh, how to fight. And he begins by telling him to do things that don't seem to have anything to do with fighting. So he gets him to wax his car and do different things, wax on, wax off, and got all these things that's going on. And the young man thinks, this is a waste of time. Why am I doing all these things? And then you find out that all that's going on there is actually a part of learning how to fight, which is all a part of actually fulfilling that young man's desire. It just doesn't look that way. So he's telling him, I want you to do this. I want you to wax on, wax off my car or whatever it is. And it sounds like drudgery. It sounds like you're not being kind to me. You're not doing me any good here. You're just using me to get your car waxed. But the reality is he was commanding his good by commanding what he commanded. And we really need to see that. It's interesting in this uh, passage in verse 30 where it says, My yoke is easy is actually the adjective of the verb in 1 Corinthians 13. Could be translated, my yoke is kind. And someone has said, you could translate it, my yoke is kindly. I have a kind yoke. And what does that mean? It means, I require you to do what will bring you your greatest happiness. I require you to do what will bring you the good that your heart longs for. Now, why would I say that? In John 15... Jesus tells his disciples on the night that he's betrayed, he says this about his commandments, about what he tells us to do. He says in uh, verse 10 of John 15, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There's a link between my love and my commandments. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So I followed my father's commandments and I, I... Walked in his love and I enjoyed his love and I'm commanding you to do the same thing. Then he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, these commandments I've spoken to you, along with the truth that are the context for them. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I want you to have my joy. I want you to have it to the fullest. And that's why I'm commanding you to do these things. I'm telling you to do these things because I'm kind. I want to do you good. And so I tell you to do these things. It's interesting that if you try to understand the picture of the yoke, and Jesus grew up as a carpenter, the son of a carpenter, worked as a carpenter um, in terms of his earthly father, son, um, and probably made yokes. Yoke is a wooden bar that you put across two animals uh, to help them pull a plow or pull a load. And the yoke had to be very carefully made so that it wouldn't chafe the animals. And the idea is that it was a means of submission, to bring the animals into submission that they might pull a certain load and perform a certain labor. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, which means submit to me. Among the Jewish people, they understood the yoke to picture uh, instruction and submission to instruction. So they would talk about um, things like the yoke of the Torah, the yoke of the law, or the yoke of um, the commandments. And so Jesus is very much talking about commandments. He's talking about doing what I teach you to do. And to realize that the reason why I'm commanding you to do what I'm commanding you to do is because it's for your good. The word kind can be translated good, can be translated kind. In this case, it's often translated easy, but it, it doesn't mean that God's commandments are easy. It means they're good for us and they're good for others. They're kind to us, the one who who does them, as well as to those we Uh, love as well and so in coming to christ what do we have to do we have to despair of trusting in our own righteousness and give up doing what we want to do and to trust in the finished work of jesus trust in his righteousness trust in his cross on our behalf and then we take on his yoke we receive him as our lord we trust him as our savior we receive him as our lord we take on the yoke of living to please him living to do what he says to do and he says make sure you understand that i'm not selfish and i'm not mean i'm not just telling you what to do irrespective of being kind to you irrespective of what is good for you and those around you i'm actually commanding your good i'm being kind to you and telling you to forgive other people because it's going to eat you alive I'm being kind to you when I tell you to be patient and stay in that relationship so that you don't just walk away. I'm being kind to you when I command you to do what I command you to do. And the whole idea of it not being burdensome, you know, it says in 1 John 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And in Matthew 11, Jesus said, my burden is light. How is that light? I mean, how is it light to forgive someone who's hurt you terribly? It's light in the sense that you don't have to do that in order to be saved. Jesus has done all that has to be done for us to be saved. The Jewish people were under a heavy yoke. The Pharisees said, if you want to be saved, you have to be really, really good. You have to be really, really obedient. And that's what they were trying to be. They were trying to be obedient enough to be accepted by God. And that's a yoke that nobody can bear. And so Jesus' yoke is light in the sense that he's fulfilled everything for us that needs to be fulfilled so that we can be accepted by God by grace, by undeserved favor. Secondly, it's light in the sense that I can do hard things easier if I really know it's for my own good. I have a hard time doing hard things when I'm not so sure it's for my own good. But if I'm convinced that it's really for my good to get up at 5 a.m. and run five miles, then it's a lot easier than I than if I think I'm just torturing myself for nothing. So believing in the kindness of God and commanding me to do what he calls me to do makes it lighter. Then most importantly, in one sense, is that God says, I'm with you You're yoked to me. Who's the other person in the yoke? It's me. Therefore, I will enable you to do what you can't do on your own. My yoke is light and my burden is light. And so God is presently being kind to us by telling us to do hard things, telling us to obey his word. Because it's kind to us and it's kind to those around us. Then lastly, God is kind in what he requires us to endure and what he requires us to experience. Um, If you would turn to Psalm 119 and we'll look at verse 65 and verse 68 of Psalm 119. And while you're doing that, let me just remind you of what it says in in James, the very beginning of James, chapter 1. It says in verse 2, 2 through 4 of James, chapter 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The very first part of verse 2 says, it starts off, Emphasizing all joy. That's in a position of emphasis. All joy. Then there's a command to think. Think when you are in a trial. All joy. That should be at the forefront of your mind. That what I'm going through right now. Is intended by God. For all and only joy. Think that. Consider that. Fight to believe that that is really what God is doing, that He's being kind to you. He's doing you good through what you're going through. Think, God requires me to endure only the fire that is going to bring me pleasure, that's going to actually bring me good. He's only going to give me kind fires, kind trials, kind... Uh, difficult situations. In uh, Psalm one nineteen, verse sixty five, it says, "You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word." The Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek. Um, it's called the Septuagint, and the word "well" in verse sixty five of Psalm one nineteen is actually the noun form of the verb in First Corinthians thirteen for kindness, so that it could be translated. You have dealt kindly or dealt with kindness uh, with your servant, O Lord, according to your word, which means just like you promised. You've been kind to me just like you said you would be. Um, There is a translation that translates that verse. Excuse me. I am your servant, Lord, and you have kept your promise to treat me with kindness. You've kept your promise to treat me with kindness. And then if you look at verse 68, Where it says, you are good and do good, teach me your statutes. That word good, the first good is the adjective form of the verb in 1 Corinthians 13 in Greek. The second good is the noun form. So that that could be translated, you are kind and you do what is kind. You are kind and you do what is kind. You are good and you do what is good. you would turn to Exodus, not Exodus, uh, Ezekiel 24. And I want to wrap up with this. In Ezekiel 24, there's an interesting story. Um, I hope one way or the other you make it your habit to read through the whole Bible, because you miss out on a lot if you don't see all that God has said, even if it takes you five years to do it. Just make it your goal to be familiar with all that the Bible says because it is how we really get to know the God who has created us and the God who saved us in Ezekiel 24 we have beginning in uh, verse 15 the story of God who comes to Ezekiel his prophet and says in verse 16 son of man speaking to Ezekiel behold I'm about to take from you the desire of your eyes with a blow But you shall not mourn, and you shall not weep, and your tears shall not come. Now, what is he talking about there? If you look at verse uh, 18, it says, So I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening my wife died. And in the morning I did as I was commanded. So he says in verse 16, I'm about to take from you the desire of your eyes with one blow. What was the desire of his eyes that God was going to take with one blow? His wife. He says, Ezekiel, I'm going to take your wife from you. And it's going to come suddenly. And this is how I want you to respond. And he did. He responded in the way that God told him to. And we may read through this, and you can read through this later if you want to, and ask the question, I'm not so sure that was very kind. That seems like the opposite of kindness. For God to come to someone and say, I'm going to take your wife from you, the one that you love so much. And yet, Psalm 145 says, God is righteous in all his ways, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his deeds. That includes this. So how in the world was this kindness to Ezekiel and anyone else? Well, I think... We get some pointers in that direction when we see God explain why he's doing what he's doing. In verse twenty four, it says, Thus Ezekiel will be assigned to you speaking to Israel. What God was going to do was he was going to remove the temple, which was the desire of their eyes, and take them into exile. And so what was happening to Ezekiel was a picture for God's judgment on his own people Israel. And it says, Thus, Ezekiel in verse 24 will be assigned to you according to all that he has done, you will do. When it comes, then you will know that I am the Lord God. When it comes, then you will know that I am the Lord God. And verse 27 says, On that day your mouth will be opened to him who escaped, and you will speak and be mute no longer. Thus you will be assigned to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. What is God's explanation? I'm doing what I'm doing that they might know me. And I believe the same was for Ezekiel. I'm doing what I'm doing that you might know me. I cannot be more kind to you than to do what I do so that you might know me, that you might trust me, that you might love me, that you might see me. I can't be any more loving to you than that. And you have to really understand that and believe that and hold on to that when things like this happen. Uh, George Mueller was a pastor in the 1800s, very famous pastor. Many of you are familiar with George Mueller, had an orphanage, pastored a church. Uh, At one point, um, his wife died, and he actually preached from Psalm 68. That was his funeral text at his own wife's funeral, and He said before his wife died that he read to her uh, a final portion of scripture which said, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so he said, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm trusting in Christ. I know my sins are forgiven. And I'm, I'm seeking to do what pleases the Lord. And so he says... If it is really good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me if she was healed. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. Well, at his wife's funeral, he said this in reference to Psalm 119.68. The Lord is good and he does good. All will be according to his own blessed character. Nothing but that which is good like himself can proceed from him. If he pleases to take my dearest wife, it will be good like himself. What I have to do as his child is to be satisfied with what my father does, that I may glorify him. After this, my soul Not only aimed, but this my soul, by God's grace, attained to. He says, that was my aim, was to be satisfied with my father, because I'm his child, no matter what he did. And by God's grace, I was able to be satisfied with what God did. He said, I was satisfied with God. Why? Because he believed God was being kind to him. And if that doesn't blow your mind, it should. It should blow all of our minds in a good way. That even the most difficult situation is God being kind to us. And it's only then, only as we can see through those difficult situations, our kind Father, that we can be satisfied with God. Because the reality is we're not satisfied with God many, many days, many, many moments because we wrestle with whether or not God is really being kind to us. Well, let me ask you in closing, do you believe that God has been profoundly and persistently kind to you up to this very moment? And will he be kind to you 10 minutes from now and 10 days from now and ten years from now, do you believe that he's been kind, he is being kind, and he will be kind to you? And it's In the sense, that he's going to do you good, ultimate good, wonderful good. As Job would say, things too wonderful for us to understand kind of good things. That he will do that for his children. He is kind to his children, And in preparation for uh, the next time we'll talk about this, Mark's going to be preaching next Sunday, so we'll be praying for Mark as he prepares for that. But let me just ask one final question as we close. Are you being kind to God's children yourself? Because God says in 1 John that we are to love like he loves. If he's kind to his children, he calls us to be kind to his children. And that means that if there's another Christian that you know that you wouldn't want to be around or you wouldn't want to interact with or you wouldn't want to fellowship with, then you need to pray about that. You need to repent of that, whether it's in this body or outside this body. God is kind to his children, and he says, I want you to be kind to my children. And I'm not... God doesn't play favorites, all his children. He's kind to all his children. And he calls us to love all of his children, to be patient with them, to be kind with them, to do them good and not to harden our hearts, not to walk away, not to hold them at a distance, but to love his children. Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love like I call you to love. If you love like I love you, that's how people will know you're really mine. If we simply love like everybody loves, we love those who love us, we love those we like, we love those who are easy to love, then we exhibit nothing of the character of God. God calls us to rest in his kindness, to rejoice in his kindness, and to reflect that kindness. And the more we see how kind God is to us, the more grace there is to be kind to all those who are children of God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for the encouragement of your word. Father, I pray that we would believe that you are kind to us, even though we don't deserve it, even though we aren't kind, even though we aren't obedient as we should be. You are a patient and kind God to all of us. That is good news. Help us to rejoice in the good news of the kind and patient God that you are. Help us also to rejoice in the fact that, Lord Jesus, you came to live and die and rise again for people who aren't kind, who aren't kind like you are, which includes me and everyone else. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you fulfilled the kindness that we need and that you died in our place. And we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit and we can look to you, Holy Spirit, to make us more patient, make us more kind. Help us to do that. Help us to believe that you're being kind to us, Father. Help us to rest in your finished work of kindness, Lord Jesus. And help us to depend on you, Holy Spirit, to be more and more patient and kind. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.